Seeing Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fiboli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Among the many businesses disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic was the Canadian insurance industry. More specifically, the restrictions on practices such as personal interactions forced changes to the traditional underwriting process. To look at what has happened this year and the potential impact going forward, we are joined by two guests today. Norm LeBlanc is Chief Underwriter and Claims Risk Officer at Sun Life. And Emil Elefteriadis, FCIA, is Senior Vice President and Head of Life and Health Products for Canada at Swiss Re. Thank you both for joining us today. It's great to be here. Nice to be here, Chris. Okay, so let's start off by discussing what were some of the major changes to the insurance underwriting process that occurred due to COVID-19. Norm, can you start off with that? Yeah, sure. I can I can start off with that, Chris. So, um, yeah, obviously COVID-19 uh, has introduced a range of complexities for insurers in, in underwriting, but also in claims and enforced policy service. And these were very, you know, it added complexities. Um, and so it brought about some new changes. Some of the notable changes, I guess, that happened as a result of this, first of all, it accelerated the industry's move towards digital solutions. This is a movement that was already happening, but in many ways, the pandemic just pushed us to take this digital leap um, we've been contemplating for years. We just, it pushed us to do it more quickly. It also, you know, made us more flexible um, in underwriting, particularly with getting less requirements. Um, the key to it was doing so with our existing product and pricing structure, which was the challenge. Um, so trying to replace actual and known protective value of evidence uh, we have obtained for decades um, and trying to proceed without it. So, you know, we were leveraging data, uh, accelerating the use of advanced analytics to expand, you know, our accelerated underwriting programs and reduce the requirements in this environment. So this is being required at higher and higher face amounts and older and older ages. So the key to all of this, of course, is digital data. So, you know, the fact that we're getting electronic applications, increasing the use of tele-interviews, and obtaining other digital forms of data, um, all of that together kind of allows us or enables us to expand the use of accelerated underwriting and promote alternate ways uh, to assess the risk. So again, all of that ha- happened uh, during COVID-19 in an accelerated environment, right, to try to get more cases approved without requirements, but do it in a way that was measured to protect the mortality experience on that block of business. Um, just one more point on accelerated underwriting before I move on is the models can differ from company to company. The important thing is that you know using digital data to help with our decisions and to eliminate labs is really just that. It eliminates labs. It's not to predict who has to get a test. It's to understand who doesn't need a test because they're a better risk because of the data that we have, whether it's age, amount, the disclosures on the applications, or other other data points that help us assess, you know, where we can make a decision without the need to collect blood, urine, or vitals. Okay, can you tell us a bit about how these changes affected the decisions made in the underwriting process? So yes, I think, you know, we had to be more comfortable making faster risk assessment decisions, basically. Uh, The key was to balance the long-term nature of the risks that we have with trying to make decisions quickly. So some companies reduced their exposure to larger and higher risks during the pandemic, balancing the long-term nature of the risk, like I mentioned, with the short window that we had to be able to assess in this environment where basically um, our service providers stopped um, the collection of labs, right? So um, that was the key. 
um, and it happened for you know the better part of three plus months. But you know we're not that's the not the only form of uh, evidence that we collect during underwriting. So again, using more digital data through the electronic applications, through tail interviews, but also getting um, doctor supports because during the pandemic we were still able to get doctor supports in many cases, and in several of those cases it would include. Uh, clinical lab tests that helped in our assessment, even if it didn't provide all the test results that we're used to getting as part of an insurance lab test. So again, underwriting differently and being comfortable underwriting it differently. And again, it's just to do that in a shorter window of time to make sure that we're still providing the value to our clients who need the insurance, uh, making sure that we're making conscious decisions to assess risk in our current environment. Temporary measures couldn't always accommodate it, and we're fortunate in some ways that we are able now to kind of resume the collecting of labs. But even even outside of that, some companies uh, would apply things like extra ratings to cover the risk, not offering preferred, um, and just offering residual standard. Um, others offered to reduce coverage to regular non non medical limits. Again, just to manage the risk, but offer some coverage to our clients. I guess, and one other quick point um, I wanted to mention, it's it's worth no, noting the collaboration in the industry to help um, keep things moving, if you will. Um, so that would include not only our service providers, but the, all the direct car carriers and our reinsurance partners. We want to make sure we were, you know, taking the right level of risk for our business. The reinsurers were very supportive, you know, to allow us to make those necessary changes and take the temporary actions that were required to keep things moving. Well, eventually this pandemic will run its course. And I'm just wondering of all the changes you've discussed, which ones do you expect to be permanent and which ones do you see being eventually reversed? Good question, uh, Chris. Look, uh, you know, more, more, more generally, right, broader, higher level, uh, there's, there's going to be, uh, you know, some good learnings from, from this crisis that will improve our understanding of the pandemic risk. It'll offer insights into how to better prepare for disasters as individuals, business, and societal uh, societal level. But, you know, specific to, 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 to the question you're asking, you know, one of the things that I expect to be permanent is that the pace of change in all aspects of risk assessment will quicken over the next several years as enabling digital infrastructure and analytical approaches are deployed, such as predictive models, broader and richer digital data sets, and uh, automated uh, underwriting engines. As labs reopen, um, many carriers may not go back to their pre-COVID-19 levels of laboratory uh, evidence collection to support risk assessment but instead will go part way from where they are right now during the pandemic to where they were prior to the pandemic and to uh you know support the the increase in these non-medical limits and reductions in lab evidence and eventually move towards norm i think you would agree with this a uh, a more risk-based underwriting model uh there there's an acceleration in the development of these predictive models, uh, discovering and acquiring third-party data sets. Uh, we see a rush to digitize uh, internal data uh, so that it could be used to feed and train models. 
and, and the development of other analytical tools to help uh, mitigate the loss of protective value associated with the, uh, with the laboratory evidence. To me, this is welcome news. Uh, it forces more life actuaries to learn and apply modern statistical and data science-based techniques uh, to their work, uh, something that PNC actuaries have been doing for a while. So, so it's, it's an exciting time to be uh, an actuary. You know, medium, longer-term changes may include a re-examination of the current risk assessment regime that is highly focused on traditional risk factors uh, to include more holistic risk factors, right, such as, you know, diet and nutrition, physical activity, mental well-being, sleep, uh, and things like that, right? To me, you know, you show me what you eat, I'm going to tell you how long you're going to live. And, and, and wearables may have a, uh, an important role. Uh, to play in uh, objectively capturing some of these elements. Another change that I think is permanent is, is uh, a mindset change where uh, actuaries and underwriters and data scientists and other professionals work even more closely together. Because let's face it, the, the pace of change along with the uncertainty, the complexity and the ambiguity will be increasing so that you know, the best solutions are those that are crafted by considering all possible factors and a uh, multidisciplinary approach to, to problem solving. Norm, what do you think? you agree? Yeah, I completely agree. I think you've raised some really good points. And I think the key is, you know, the focus on digital solutions, but having the data and using that data and just being more open to do it more quickly. Um, but you, you raised some really good points. A couple of other maybe... Um, processing points. We we did make several other changes to support our business, one being non-face-to-face -face, um, processes and applications for both new applications, but also for some enforced requests. I think that's something that we can expect to be more permanent um, as we look to try to, you know, improve the, the, the experience and, you know, make sure that we're not exposed um, when something like this were to happen, right? So, I think we can continue to sh see a shift in how advisors do business. And then the other thing that, that's more temporary was uh, extending the temporary insurance coverage period in many cases, which allowed you know, a lot of the companies to apply their temporary measures uh, in some cases. And again, fortunately for us, allow labs to restart and allow us to collect that and make the correct um, assessment to offer insurance to clients. That's something that the, the extension of that temporary coverage will certainly come back to normal, the usual 90 days. Once we're, you know, at, once we're able to comfortably obtain the requirements in a, a timely or a normal manner. Um, so that's, that's a temporary measure that, that will go away once things get back to normal. Well, I know we live in a day and age now where a lot of consumers expect to purchase something and do it immediately, preferably on their phones. So it sounds like the, this pandemic has, in a way, pushed the insurance industry a little bit closer to that standard. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this this was happening, right? And, and uh, you know, our, our, our head of underwriting for the Americas calls it, uh, you know, accelerating the inevitable. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's going to be win-win for everybody and, and, and result in a you know, much better customer experience. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's talk now about the actuarial considerations. Uh, obviously, a lot of our members are going to be wondering, do these changes have the potential to affect expected mortality? And if so, how? 
Yeah. So, 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 uh, yes. So first of all, Chris, just, you know, for everyone's benefit here, you know, my comments are strictly related to the, uh, potential mortality, uh, impacts in respect of these changes to risk assessment and, and not related to any potential extra mortality on, on COVID-19, right? So, so this is just the underwriting, uh, changes we're talking about, right? So, I think, you know, to me in general, right, uh, these changes, right, the loss of laboratory uh, information is a loss of information that is helpful to assess risk. Uh, labs serve to, you know, verify risk factors that are there and, and, and discover risk factors that which were unbeknownst, right? And so, you know, at this point in time, there really isn't any other information that's taking its place. Now, some companies are using credit risk scores to, to assist in risk scoring, and, and this is something new, but it provides for a different segmentation of risk, uh, you know, based on any correlation between credit scores and mortality. So, so in general, there, there is a loss of protective value. Uh, the result is that, you know, I expect that we're going to be seeing an increased proportion of smoker lives in the standard non-smoker risk pool and, and, and lives that would have been, you know, rated in decline fall into, you know, a fraction of those fall into the standard risk pool. Right? So all of this is going to contribute to, to extra mortality. There's going to be some expense savings on the underwriting side, right, with fewer labs uh, being collected. That will help offset some of this extra mortality costs. Um, you know, the other thing that, you know, I wonder about is, you know, labs provide a, the knowledge that, that there is going to be some lab testing provides for a sentinel effect by virtue of having objective tests, which verify and discover risk factors, uh, it tends to promote fuller disclosures. Also, uh, with the increase in non-medical limits, there is now, like never before, the possibility to obtain large amounts of insurance through the stacking of multiple million-dollar policies without the protective power of labs, right? This increases the probability for, for adverse mortality. You know, these are some of the shorter-term impacts that, that uh, I see. Uh, a longer-term impact in a sort of you know, potentially unintended consequence is as we are making it easier and easier to qualify and, and get uh, new insurance, I wonder what would happen to, you know, existing term products upon renewal, right? Right now there is, you know, friction associated with having to reapply and, and getting re-underwriting at renewal time, and we see that you know, lapses really are not at the theoretical level where they ought to be if everyone uh, behaved in a rational level. But as we make these processes more and more efficient, I believe these things are going to drive behavior into, you know, to be more rational. So, so one of the things, an unintended consequence that I see uh, happening here is that uh, renewal rates on, 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 on term products will be higher than what, what probably most people expect. Is there anything that we can do about this stuff? Uh, yeah, I think, I think there are some things that can be done to, to mitigate the extra mortality. And, and I call these the, uh, the three C's. Uh, there's controls, 
uh, there's communications and, and uh, continuous improvement. So in terms of uh, controls, you know, Norm mentioned this, predictive risk models are one example where they may be used to help uh, assess a risk, but predictive models are not perfect uh, relative to labs on balance, right? They will fail to capture certain high-risk cases that should go through full underwriting, but what's known in the uh, language is a false negative. Right? A false negatives have substantial economic cost. Uh, for example, if a life that ought to be highly rated uh, might slip through as a standard risk, they will uh, also result, these predictive models, in some false positives, flagging a case as high risk, where if labs were obtained, maybe it wouldn't have been classified as a high risk. Right? So you're going to have a, a bit of both, errors on both sides. That's a less serious effort that can be mitigated with uh, you know, good communication strategies I'll talk about. There may be better ways of collecting disclosures in a way that promotes and ensures more truthful disclosures, right? So, so, so that's a way of, of uh, help mitigating adverse mortality. An important control would be to closely monitor uh, your applications and issued cases and the proportion of cases that go through an underwriting uh, automated jet kind of approach versus fully underwriting and then take corrective actions to ensure that the performance of your risk assessment regime is in line with expectations, right? Which begs the question that, you know, you need to have expectations. Uh, how do you expect your systems uh, to perform? Uh, I mentioned communications, right? So good communications is, is very helpful to help set expectations so that there are no surprises. Even though labs may not be obtained on all cases, there will still be a collection of labs on, you know, random cases or, or, or cases flagged as high risk by predictive models uh, so that, uh, you know, a fuller risk assessment may be done on those. There may be post-issue underwriting uh, conducted on, on targeted or random cases. You know, by raising the awareness that this will go on and by setting expectations, it'll help create a sentinel effect, right? And, and, and perhaps even stronger than it is now. And, and that will keep, you know, with good communication and setting expectations, it'll keep applicants, you know, in the process rather than dropping out, right? Because, you know, a term that's been used is no fluids, and I think that's an unfortunate term. It's a misnomer that it creates an expectation that really isn't there. There will be fluids collected. And, 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 you know, that shouldn't disrupt the, uh, the process. It's just part of the journey. So, so, you know, those are some of the things that I think uh, will be very helpful in order to, to mitigate these, these uh, impacts as we move along this journey. Uh, as tools and tools get better, as we get new data, as we look at different risk factors, this risk will, 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 will diminish. And in fact, it's even possible that we could end up with a, a better way of, of, of classifying risks uh, than we are uh, right now. So that's, you know, that's the way I see it. These are my personal views, uh, not necessarily those of my employer, but that's the way I see it. You know, when I think about it, you know, rationally and as, as if I were an owner or uh, an investor in the business. Interesting stuff. Uh, Norm, Norm, did you have anything to add before we wrap up? Uh, you know, just briefly, I mean, 
I could I could listen to Emil talk all day. To be honest with you, we always have great conversations. But you know, I like I like the three C's thing that you mentioned, and you know, some of it, like controls and continu continuous improvement. Those are those have been important for quite a while. Communication for me is the big key, right? Things are changing. They're changing differently than they have in the past. They're changing faster than they have in the past. But certainly working together, communicating, understanding that you know, having that understanding that things are changing, uh, but being open to it. And um, I, I think that's key. So you raised some really good points um, and we need to be open to to this new reality that we're going to be living in. Very good. I, said, I, I, I just wanted to thank Norm. I, I, I do get inspiration from Norm, so. Oh, thanks, Emil. <laughs> that's great. And thanks to both of you for taking the time to speak with us today. No problem. My pleasure. We now have over four dozen episodes in our podcast series, so we encourage you to subscribe. You can do so through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use to access podcast content. Also, we would like to hear from you, so please send your comments, suggestions, or episode ideas to podcasts at cia-ica.ca. Until next time, I'm Chris Fiboli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk.